Welcome into the 11 Dubcast presented by the Dry Goods Store at 11warriors.com. I am merely Bo Bishop, Johnny Ginter on the other end of this fine thing. And my friend, there are a few things in life covering a uh, or an observer of or whatever you want to define us um, of a big time college football co- program that go exactly the way that you think it will. And it's not <laughs> like we're unique in this. Like literally everybody who covered the Ohio State basketball program or followed it thought that this would go exactly the way that it did. That the reason Urban had not announced a starter is because Joe Burrow hadn't graduated yet, and that once Joe Burrow graduated, he would go find another place to play football. And finally today, that is the reality. Now, there's no announcement from Ohio State in terms of naming the starter, but it's very clearly Dwayne Haskins' job, which is something we all presume to be the case, boy, going back to January. Um, And so – you feel like Urban gave Burrow a legitimate chance to unseat Haskins in the spring, but he had to be so head and shoulders above Haskins um, to, to really create the doubt. And he wasn't, I have a feeling he probably could have come back in the, in the fall. They would have loved to have him back. Obviously he could have come back in the fall and fought for the job and maybe he could have won it or not. But as a kid who has already graduated and who believes he can play in the NFL, and a lot of people believe he can play in the NFL too. It's just a gamble he cannot afford to take at this point. And so Burrow announces he's going to transfer. Um, we'll get into the where and the how and how it'll all shake out and what it means. Um, but this is one of those few things where we times where we all had it, right, John? I didn't. <laughs> you didn't? No, I mean, didn't? look, I, I thought we all had this. No, I thought if Joe Burrow uh was now I there's of course a lot of stuff going on beyond this, you know, behind the scenes that I'm not privy to, but I thought if they were giving him an honest shot at the quarterback position, which I think they did. And he was making a run for it that they were going to go with him because I honestly thought that they were going to go for a guy who would bring them consistency. And like, I'm glad that like, again, I I wish him all the best. I wish nothing but the good, but good things for Joe Burrow. Um, But I'm glad this is the way it worked out because I think this is the best thing for Ohio State football in 2018 and going forward. Um, But I thought they were going to play it safe. And I thought they're going to pick a guy who really, is yeah, who is clearly like he's talented, he knows the system, he would be JT Barrett 2.0. You could just do the same thing. And That's I was true. thinking they would they would go really safe with this and and make him the uh the guy. And I'm kind of surprised a little bit the way it worked out. For him, I think it's a great move. I think unless you know unless that coaching staff can tell him for certain that he's gonna be the starter on day one, then yeah, this is the definitely the decision he had to make. But I was frankly a little bit surprised by it. I think they would have I thought they would have gone with him. Wow. I, yeah, I was, I, I pretty much, it's funny. I, I guess I, I, it went exactly the way I thought it would. And anytime that anyone asks me about it or anytime I do a radio hit or do my show up here, anytime I talk about it, I, I spell it out exactly the way that this went, yeah. that this was the way and that Burrow had an opportunity in spring, but he had to be great. He couldn't be good. He could be equal to Haskins. He needed to just completely supplant him as the clear cut choice going forward. And he didn't. Um, I think if you were to put the Ohio State coaches on a lie detector test, they would tell you that they had hoped that Haskins would be maybe a little more um, than than what they got out of him in spring, but that that there's just so much potential with Haskins uh, that cannot be ignored, and the the ability to throw the ball into into very small windows and and just a cannon rocket arm um, is something that can't be ignored, and they haven't had this in a while. And I think I do think your point, though, is pretty spot on when you talk about how this would have been. And we've you and I have talked about this. This would have been the easiest. This would have been the road of, of less. Uh, what's the what's the phrase? Th- this would have been the easy road to yeah. go with Burrow. 
because they could have just ran the same offense that they ran with JT. So this was a courage. This is a more courageous play because certainly Haskins is not a quarterback to do the offense they've ran the last few years. I mean, he's no. and really Joe's arm was bigger than JT's too, so it would have been a little different. But Haskins very much is much more in the Cardell mode mold than he is the JT mold. So they they in a sense broke the mold of of what they've been doing at quarterback since they got here with this move of Haskins, and now Burrow's got to go and find another place to play. His options will be plentiful. Dan, who does a great job for us on football, uh, wrote a piece for the site, and he outlined 10 or 11, 12 or something places where where he could land. And all of the early rumors on this is that he will go to the SEC and play at either LSU or Florida. My inclination would be that if it's a decision this important, you would have to go to a place where you knew you would play. And yeah. you would, yeah. it couldn't be a thing where you're fighting with people. It couldn't be a thing. It would have to be a situation where you are head and shoulders above who else is on the roster. And, um, and, and both of those have that position. You know, Florida's got Felipe Franks. He's on the roster. He's got some experience. I don't think they love him. Um, but the one thing that Florida has that I don't know the connection with LSU other than their need for quarterback is there would probably be a little trust between Urban and Mullen and a nice olive branch from Urban to the Florida program as well, who just will never get over him leaving. Um, but I would think that a phone call would be made from Urban to Mullen to say, look, this is what this kid's all about. Like he's your, he's going to be better than anybody you got. And, and that that would be the softest landing spot for Joe Burrow. Yeah, I mean, Florida's good because, you know, under Dan Mullen, the offense is probably going to look pretty similar to something that he already knows anyway. So that mm-hmm. would be a pretty easy transition for him. Uh, you know, it, it it's interesting to see how that kind of thing will play out in the SEC and especially at schools like LSU. And LSU, by the way, has such a crazy quarterback situation where I don't I don't think they named a starter coming out of the spring. Uh, they're really, Disaster. really, yeah, it's totally up in the air. I mean, Ed O'Geron, I mean, that's, it's that's actually interesting to me uh, because I feel like Joe Burrow can do better than LSU in terms of that coaching situation and the, just what's going to go down on there. Uh, so I think that's kind of interesting. Um, you know, people have been talking about even maybe Nebraska, which would be really crazy, I think. But there are connections there a little bit, and I, I feel mm-hmm. like Frost might be able to to woo him over a little bit. Um, yeah, man, it, it's really going to be interesting to watch to see how that whole process plays itself out. I know Luke Fickle threw his fat, his hat in the ring, and I don't <laughs> I don't blame him for trying. But I, when you've got the likes of like LSU and Florida and Nebraska knocking at your door, I don't really know that Cincinnati is going to be his landing spot. Um, no, but I mean, there this is a, that would provide a different way of thinking about it. And oh, sure, you know, Ohio. Yeah. Obviously, his dad's been on the staff there since two thousand five, so there's familiarity there. Right. Um, you know, as proven in this NFL. NFL draft you don't have to go play at Florida or LSU to get to the NFL the, right. the league will find you um, so if he's good enough they'll find him I, I think the most important thing for Joe is fit I mean he needs to get to a place that can maximize his talent and where he, there's a no-brainer that he's going to play for two years and start 24 games um, that's the deal um, so he's going to have to be pretty diligent with this um the florida you know florida i think it's just such an easy landing place i'm with you like with lsu like all that's like the graveyard of five-star quarterbacks i mean i think of like <laughs> you know like ryan perilu was there yeah and and he never turned into much you know he never turned in and then remember brandon harris was a kid who chose lsu over ohio state as a louisiana kid um and then he ends up transferring to north carolina like lsu's quarterback situation the only thing with lsu is like i mean if you're just even semi-competent quarterback at lsu 
you can win a national title because of the amount of talent that's on the roster. They have so much talent on the roster always um, that if you're competent, you know, you can be Matt Flynn and you can quarterback a team to a national championship. So that that's kind of the tricky part about LSU. But I, I tend to be um, I tend to think that that Joe Joe's a smart kid. His dad's a coach. They know the game. I would think that there would be all the assurances. The Nebraska play would make a ton of sense. Obviously, his dad played there. His two brothers played there. Scott Frost is there to run a similar offense as Urban. But from what I understand, Frost loves the freshman quarterback, this Martinez kid who kind of lit up their spring. And, you know, he might not want to delay that kid playing for two years. He might want him to play right away. So um, I don't know. I know we all said Nebraska a month ago, but but maybe that's changed a little bit after what Frost saw out of spring with Burrow. As for the uh, – well, let me, let's do this. Before we do this, where – if you're Joe Burrow, where do you go and and use it, do it in the terms of not thinking through the prism of you being Joe Burrow, but let's say Johnny Ginter has Joe Burrow's options and <laughs> know what you know about life. Where do you go to play your last year? I think it depends on how angry I am at the Ohio state coaching staff. Um, because if I want to, if I want to twist the knife a little bit, if I want to stick it to him, I'm, I'm seeing what Nebraska can tell me. Um, but if I really want to maximize potential in the NFL, you know, I mean, you're right. Like the NFL is going to find anybody anywhere. But on the other hand, you've got one season to make an impact, two. and it's real easy. Doesn't real easy two to get on national. Say again. He's got two years. Oh, that's right. So, well, okay. So you got two years. But I guess what yeah. I'm saying is, is that you've got, um, you've got a lot Limited more time exposure at a place like the SEC. And mm-hmm. I would try real hard to get into a place like Florida, uh, where I think they could really, um, you know put them out on the map. And, and not, again, the, the offenses are going to be very similar. It's something you kind of just can step into and I think be successful. I would, I would say Florida is probably the play uh, unless you're really enamored by a guy like Scott Frost. I would, the play for me would be Florida as well, but it would be for far more super or superficial reasons or just because of chicks. Um, <laughs> it's just a really, it's a really target rich environment for a quarterback at, at Florida. And um, you, it, you, the state of Florida, it's just a little better than Louisiana um yeah i mean i i think i think uf's the play to go and i you know the fact that mullen's there it seems like a natural fit so i mean if if i'm hoping that that's where he ends up and i i hope he lights it up i hope the kid from athens ohio goes down to the sec mr ohio football goes down to the sec and lights it up at florida i would love nothing more than that oh yeah Um, so i hope he does yeah as for what's next for ohio state this also kind of played out the way i think this will play out the way that a lot of us think and certainly i've been pretty vocal about this Obviously, Dwayne Haskins is a starting quarterback at Ohio State. It won't probably be announced by Urban because they. I think one of the big factors on this whole year is going to be the carrot in front of Tate Martell that he's competing, that he's in it. Uh, keep him engaged. Keep him happy. Please don't transfer. You're the future of the quarterback position at Ohio State. Uh, there's nobody behind him that that of any sort of note, and so he's the next guy after Haskins. So they've got to keep him engaged. So I think that they'll probably play it out through fall. And give him August. I mean, Dwayne will get most, you know, he'll be the first guy in all the drills and stuff. But I bet they really keep Tate engaged all the way through, um, you know, fall ball. And then I think they'll have a, a set of plays for him where he comes in in the first quarter. If they're inside the 15 and they run some of that stuff they ran with Tebow at Florida, or run some some speed option with him. Um, I think he's going to be a big part of the offense next year. And I think it's two parts. I think it's one, he's really talented. He's a, he's a really good runner and he makes people miss. And two, he has got to be kept happy. And I think that's the way that this is going to play out over the next few months. And Burrow transferring kind of unmuddies those waters a little bit. I mean, it, it makes the step from Haskins to keeping uh, Martell happy a much cleaner step. And um, 
the the only problem is if Haskins goes down, Martell has not shown he can throw. So the offense could go to the Stone <laughs> Age real quick if uh, if there is an injury. And no Urban Meyer quarterback, as we all know, has ever got through a season without an injury. So, um, you know, that's something to keep an eye on. But I think that's the way it plays out in the fall. Well, and that's the thing. Like, the, I think the biggest winner in all of this, besides, you know, Haskins, obviously, is has got to be Tate Martell because you can tell him all summer and all fall camp, all this stuff, you're one play away from being the starting quarterback at Ohio oh, State. Oh, yeah. And, you know, as history has shown us, like, I think, you know, JT Barrett, I think last season he did pretty well in terms of staying clean. But yeah, he probably played every, he started every game last year, didn't he? Yeah. But he did get hurt in the Michigan game. He got hurt a couple times. Right. He did get hurt. And, but, and so that's the thing. Even yeah. if, you know, even a guy who was pretty durable, like JT was in the past, he, he still missed time. And so, like, you can tell a guy, like, history has shown you're going to be the guy at some point next season. Like, it's just going to happen because of the way football is. And if that doesn't motivate him, especially with what he has said that he wants to do and, and the kind of impact he wants to make at the quarterback position at Ohio State, then he maybe shouldn't be at Ohio State because that's, to me, we, I mean, Ohio State won a national championship with a third-string quarterback. If you don't feel that you're going to get some kind of playing time as a second string, I feel like you're at the wrong college. Um, so I, I think I think he's got a lot to play for, and, and really this is this is great news for him. Uh, because he's definitely going to see the field, I think, at some point. And not just oh, in a, see it a lot. role. And I, I think he'll see it in the first quarter of games. Yeah, John, he's going to see it in the first quarter of games. I mean, he's going to he, – you will see that kid will be out there a lot. Oh, You'll yeah. see 18 out there a lot because they – I mean, they his happiness is going to be a pretty big deal over the next couple of years. It's keeping him, if Dwayne is a two-year player and Martell sits around here for three years without being a starter – you got to make sure he's happy and engaged. So I and I think they'll do a lot to make sure that he is. I mean, that's the one thing we talked about this before. That's the one thing about Emory Jones not coming here. And when I say Emory Jones, I don't necessarily mean Emory Jones exactly. What I'm what I'm saying is someone of that ilk, right. uh, a big time guy coming in in this class, a four or five star can't miss guy um, who they could train to be the next guy. They don't have that, and right now they don't have it in the next recruiting class either. So Martell is really paramount um, in terms of keeping the keeping this this train flying down the tracks the way it has so often with Urban. Um, so, th- look, look, it's a, it's a fun day. I'm happy for Joe. I hope he finds finds uh, a home. Uh, I hope it's at Florida. I think it's a win for him, and I think he could have a real chance to succeed there. And now Ohio State has a clear path with Dwayne Haskins as a clear quarterback and Tate Martell having some role. So, you know, things are, things are a lot simpler now than they were a week ago, certainly. Uh, up next, former uh, former Buckeye. He's a, he's a graduate, certainly. He knows a little bit about the history of the Ohio State football program as well. His name is Robert Rome. He wrote a book about the often forgotten early years of the Buckeye football program. He'll join us to discuss that and still to come ask us anything. But before we do that, we do encourage you to visit 11 Warriors Dry Goods for hats, shirts, stickers, and more. Barware, drygoods.11warriors.com. It is our privilege to bring on Robert Roman. He's an Ohio State graduate, and he wrote the book, the Ohio State Ohio State football, the forgotten dawn about the early years of the Buckeye football program, its formation and how the popularity, how it became the behemoth that it is and the king of uh, of all uh, all college football that it's become and certainly the king of all sports in the state of Ohio over the last hundred years or so. Robert, thank you so much for taking the time. Uh, let's just start with the inspiration. Why write the book? What made you um, decide that this was something you were going to tackle? Well, I originally started doing the research for the book just out of my own interest because most histories of Ohio State football don't talk about this early era, and so I just did the research. 
And what I discovered was that to understand Ohio State football, you really need to understand these earliest days because that, that passion that we see today that dominates the entire state, as you said, it goes back to the very root. It grows. It, I mean, it wasn't statewide then back then. It was just the students on campus. But it was the same passion. You can see it then to now. And that's the story I wanted to tell, how that passion that was just among 400 college students back then became the state's obsession. Yeah, I, I got to say, I'm like actually really interested in how the the idea of this land-grant college is that's kind of this ag school. That it's not one of the more prestigious schools at the time, I think, in that part of the country. Uh, how that becomes so heavily invested in college football. And maybe, I mean, one of the things that I, I saw, like some of the interviews and stuff that you've done, is, is that this was like a really big point of pride for a school and a community that maybe didn't have that many. And so, yes. like, how did that, how did that really, like, what was one of the first instances of that taking hold with both the student body and the community of Columbus? Well, it, it's like what you just said, that it, it was a very different kind of school than most of the other schools in the state. Most schools in the state were um, formed by religious denominations. Ohio State was formed by the government, land-grant college act, as you said. And because of that, they got a lot of criticism from the more conservative religious schools, and they would call them that godless school that atheist school, that <laughs> vulgar school in Columbus. And so they always had this chip on their shoulder. And when they started competing in sports against these other schools, that was what drove them. When, so this was the thing that you hung your hat on. If you go to Ohio State in the eight, late 1890s, uh, this became the, the rallying cry for the university. Now, um, when does it when does it start to matter if they're wins and losses? I mean, now that's all we care about. Like, when when does it become more than when does it become important that we are competitive? I mean, obviously, Fielding Yost is at Michigan, turn of the century ish, and and they're winning everything. Like, at mm -hmm. what point does this is our sense of pride? But now, damn it, we've got to go win some things. When does that happen? It happened to some extent from the very beginning. They always had the ambition of dominating the state. They thought they deserved to dominate the state because they were the flagship school of the state. That I mean, no one else saw them as the flagship school of the state, but their founder, Rutherford B. Hayes, governor, later president, he said that they were the flagship school of the state, and so they believed him. And so because <laughs> of that, they thought it was their birthright to dominate the state and that's, so that that's hasn't changed at all. because it's so <laughs> that has not changed. <laughs> yeah that, that exactly there's yeah that's exactly the mentality that ohio state has today i think that's really kind of cool that that's sort of the genesis of that mm -hmm. um and when they were not winning it was it, just like today it's like well something is fundamentally wrong we need to fix this somehow we need to fix this right well, can I ask you about this real quick? This is something that's always fascinated me. I was looking at uh, some of the older uh, program, like the the program books, uh, mm -hmm. like from the 1910s and 1920s for Ohio State football. And one of the things that I always wondered about was the logistics of all of this, because we're not dealing in an era where you have an interstate highway system or powered flight mm -hmm. for a lot of it. So. Yeah. How do you how do you recruit? How do you even go to the how do coaches go to these places and like talk to players? How, is it just word of mouth? Do they go on horseback? Like how does how logistically how does a football team function in this era? Yeah, well, how football teams function in the era is by trains because Ohio yeah. used to have this great train system. 
But the other part, recruiting, recruiting is a modern phenomenon. It really wasn't a major part of college football in the era that, that I was looking at. You know, even, even someone like uh, Chick Harley in 1916, when he started playing, he was recruited, but not, it wasn't, recruiting wasn't as advanced as, as we think of it today. There was certainly no, um, you know, there's no 11 warriors talking about it. <laughs> yeah. You know, isn't, you know, one thing that's always been fascinating to me about the Ohio State, I'm, I'm not from Ohio and um, I've lived here about the last decade or so. And the one thing that's always been fascinating to me about the Ohio State football program is the city, its relationship with the city of Columbus and mm-hmm. how they've both kind of grown to become monsters. Uh, Ohio State probably a little quicker than Columbus, but certainly now at this point where they're both become just these um, really modern things in the state of Ohio that maybe represent the best of Ohio now for, for some, maybe Columbus represents the best. And certainly Ohio state football has been that one thing that you could always rely on in the state. Um, Mm -hmm. How, how much of a role did the city of Columbus, I would think it would be hand in hand. I mean, they basically, it was the perfect incubator. I would think, I mean, even from the beginning of to to nurture this thing and make it what it has become. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Well, if nothing else, the fact that there was no major league, sports in the city of Columbus made, you know, made Ohio state football be the city's team. And as you said, that's it. It nurtured that, 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 uh, environment really nurtured the team to become uh, a national power. So what I, so that's interesting about that is that I think probably, you know, Columbus and, and people going to Ohio state probably, you know, glommed onto the team almost immediately, but do you do you know how the faculty and, and how the the administration reacted to that popularity? Because we know that you know in the nineteen fifties in the nineteen sixties there was a lot of that uh, tension I think between those two spheres of Ohio State and even Ohio State like you know rejecting like a, a bowl you know bid like right. was that kind of tension present at the beginning or is that something that kind of well, developed at the very beginning? It was there was not there was no tension because there really wasn't even much awareness. Okay. That, it was just students' leisure activities. By the time they started becoming uh, more more well organized, then they did pay attention and they did worry about um, what is this taking too much time away from you know, uh, academics, things like that. And there were rules about how much they could practice and things like that. And the, the there was no athletic department in those days, but. Um, when when they, uh, when the players got injured in 1891, then there was talk: should we have an athletic department to oversee this thing? This seems kind of dangerous. Things like that. <laughs> Man, that's crazy. Did you hit get, in in the research you did with? I mean, college. You you, you called it a leisure activity, um, mm-hmm. and for much of the part of the early, you know early 50 years or so of of the Ohio State program, it was a you really were a student athlete. Uh, the, now they're athlete students and the student, uh, you know, is, is a, is a very small part of what's expected. These kids are, I know they act like they have to have restrictions on hours, but it's nonsense. I mean, these kids don't go home for summer. They're there year round. They're working out, they're practicing year round. It is big business. Was there anything in your research, um, that, that jumped out? Was there any inkling, I guess, that you found that maybe even 120 years ago that they were onto something? In the sense that um, that it, basically you're talking about corruption, and and there was nothing 
like that. Well, or then it would become what it, as big as it's become that it would just become this thing that's the second most popular sport in this country. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's crazy. Yeah. Oh yes. Well, in the you were talking about Columbus earlier, but yeah, there in there was a uh, Columbus Dispatch article um, during the the Thanksgiving game of 1892, I believe it was. And this article saying, you know, what is this phenomenon, this this gridiron football that no one had heard of um, three years earlier is now the talk of the entire city. So, yes, in that sense, that it would become so big that was, yeah. they were, it was clear that's, from the start that they were onto something. That's amazing that going back to the 1890s, you know, that something it's it's a fascinating thing. Was Do you think that the, that the, the, the Ohio State story of the building of this? would be one that would be similar and it, I mean, obviously do hypothesize, but that it would be similar, you know, at Penn state, at Michigan, at other places. Did they all, were they all kind of in this together? These big state universities? I would have to think so because they all had a similar environment because the lane grant schools uh, changed education. And so there was a lot of pushback from the traditional powers. Yeah. I, I think it's really fascinating. Just, how this all kind of developed kind of organically. And it, it's weird that you've got this, this like kind of fringe sport that isn't played, you know, really worldwide. And then you've got other sports that are more popular at the time, but just something culturally just hits with these mm-hmm. college towns. And it, it just, it just grabs a hold of people. Um, mm-hmm. What kind of, I mean, what, obviously, you know, Ohio State, you know, Ohio Stadium was built in the 1920s and this gigantic cathedral to college football. But what was attendance like before they had those types of facilities? How many people were showing up to these games and, and really following the team? If they got 700 people, that would be considered a great crowd. Okay. <laughs> so it took a little bit to, to build up to that then, I guess. Yes, it did. But the thing is, it, it's it, what's interesting is if you compare the attendance of these football games, though, to attendance to a baseball game. And they noticed right away that more people were coming to the football games. So it'd be something where just like over the years, they just kept seeing attendance grow and grow and grow and grow. Yes. Yes. They kept seeing attendance grow and grow. And, but from the start, it was clear that it was going to be a popular sport because it was outgrowing baseball by so much. Right. Yeah. And that's, and it's, it's just been incredible to see like how it's gone from something like that to, you know, 120 years later to this insane, crazy cultural thing. Mm-hmm. Um, oh, it's, sure. it's, it's pretty cool. Let me ask you this. Do you, do you, do you still watch every Saturday? Do you still follow oh, the team? You do? Yeah. Absolutely. Do you, did, did right, has right, has writing, did writing the book change the way you view the sport that it's in its current state? with, you know, $8.4 million coaches' salaries and uh, $150 million athletic departments? Yes and no. I mean, I've always been uncomfortable about how the the, the fact that it isn't, you know, you talked about how it, there's questionable connections. I mean, that's not true of all of the athletes, obviously. Some of them really get a good education. But, yeah, there's this tendency to treat them like they're, professional athletes mm-hmm. that attend the school and I've always been uncomfortable with that and I do enjoy when I was doing the research seeing these pure students who were playing football as opposed to football players who have to attend college it was more fun but I mean I, I still love Ohio State you know I went to school at Ohio State you know uh, 30 years ago Keith Byers' era was was my era, and when I was a little boy, Archie was my hero. So, 
you know, I, you can't get rid of that. That's just part yeah. of you. It's in, it gets into your DNA. It's kind of like, you know, you, you like to taste a hot dog, but you don't want to know what's in it. That's kind of how college football <laughs> is for me, right? That's Yeah, that's kind of the way it is, yeah. You know, I just really like watching it on Saturdays. I don't want to know about how it's made, you know. <laughs> so it's, it's certainly now that's where we're at. Do you feel like, I, I, often, I feel like we're headed for a tipping point, though. I mean, I think it's, the money just continues to escalate and escalate, mm-hmm. and these kids are getting a bigger and bigger voice, the social media aspect of it. I, I do feel like they're headed. The basketball investigation is going to be a big one. I, do, you, do you get a sense that we're headed for a tipping point in college athletics? I don't, I can't say for sure, but it sh- if yeah. it's, if there is going to be, it's going to happen now because the time seems right. And if it doesn't happen now, maybe it never will. Yeah. Yeah. I, it's, it, I think you might be right. If they can, if you can survive this, you can survive anything. This is a fascinating conversation. We thank you. T- thank you for your time, Robert. And we encourage well, our listeners uh, to go buy your book, Ohio state football, the forgotten Don fascinating about how we got, how it all began at, at Ohio state. And so uh, we, we thank you for coming on today, sir. Thank you. A reminder, don't forget to follow the 11 Dubcast on Twitter and rate and subscribe on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. We do it at the end of the show every week. We rely on it even more this time of year, so we ask you to continue to do it. It is Ask Us Anything. Uh, John, are we fortunate enough to have some this week? Oh, of course we do. We And, and, and I got to tell you something. I, I'm very happy that we get to start off Ask Us Anything with this question, which, again, you guys All can right. send us questions. Uh, to dubcast at 11warriors.com or at 11dubcast on Twitter. It's from our good friend Alvin. He says he wants to know, simple question, is LeBron leaving Cleveland? Simple question. <laughs> yeah, right? We could do an hour on that. <laughs> um, I tend to think yes. I have a working theory that I've made public up here quite a bit that I'm running with, and I'll look stupid if I'm wrong. But I have a running theory that the reason he played 82 games this year and the reason he chased an MVP and the reason he's doing what he's doing in the playoffs, number one is competitive spirit. But I think the other thing is, is he wants to be able to leave here with his head held high and said, I delivered a championship. I played every single game. I gave you everything I had. At age 33, I gave you an MVP caliber season. And I think that just the differences between between him and Dan Gilbert are too much to overcome. So barring a sale of the team from Dan Gilbert, I think that LeBron James uh, will leave at the end of this season. Where he goes is where it's tricky, and maybe that's how he finds his way back to the Cavs because there aren't really landing spots from a basketball and then a financial perspective that make a ton of sense. I, I, I think the one that – that is to me is still the best potentially for him would be the Lakers. And when people talk about the Lakers, they say, well, yeah, they're a bunch of young kids, but what they really are is assets. Like you could trade some of those assets to, you could sign George and LeBron and free agency, Paul George, LeBron and free agency. And then you could take those assets and trade them. Um, for example, to San Antonio for Kawhi Leonard. So there there's, there's a path for him to get to LA. It would be an odd move to go there at this point in his career, but, that's my working theory on it. And I, I hate it. I mean, I live here. I hate it, but I, I think that's where it's headed. Yeah. I think, I think he's gone too, but you're right. It's going to be tricky just to see. Cause he's, I mean, what you have seen from LeBron James at, during these <clears throat> playoffs and just during the season in general is just yeah. completely mind blowing. I mean, this guy's 33 years old. He's two months older than I am. And in some ways he's playing better than he's ever played. Like that's, yeah. that's insane to me. Um, but on it the is. other hand, some people may look at his age and say, okay, this guy's going to be 34 next season. Um, how much money, how much we're going to give up for a guy who we don't know when he's going to start to decline. Maybe he doesn't start to decline. Maybe he keeps going until he's like 38 or 39 or some crazy thing. Yeah. But 
you don't know that. I mean, you're basically taking a gamble. And so teams are going to have to give up a lot to get him. And I think there are some teams who are like, you know what, we're okay with the rebuilding like two or three years uh, to get where we want to be as opposed to relying on LeBron to try to get us a championship the next two. So I think it's going to be really crazy. I will say, though, that it's just been an unbelievable treat watching this guy play. Uh, he's Jordan, man. He's. I mean, he's the best ever. I mean, if yeah, you want to put Jordan ahead of him, fine. I'm not going to quibble with it. But it's him and it's him in 23. Yeah. He. This is what I say with him. Like he does stuff that I that Jordan can't do. Right. I mean, I've seen him do stuff that I that I know Jordan can't do, and I don't know that Jordan can do anything that he can't do. Yeah. I don't like no. the scoring stuff. Like the thing about Jordan that people have always said, and they've always used this as a way. And I don't want to get into a big LeBron versus Jordan thing, but because right. that could first take. But the thing that right. people say about uh, Jordan that LeBron couldn't do is just the, the way that Jordan scored. I mean, he he altered his game. He, he had a jump shot, all this other stuff. He, he changed what he did later on in his career. I don't think it matters at this point. I don't care how you get 45 mm-hmm. points in a game. You still scored 45 points. Like, he should not be doing this much at this no, you point saw him in career. And you saw him in game two in Toronto where he's just practicing yeah, fadeaway jump shots. Right. Like he's, like just he's just practicing in the middle of the Eastern Conference semifinal game. He's just practicing. It's crazy. Yeah, he's, it's, he's on another level. Crazy. His passing and his passing is miles beyond what I think. I mean, Jordan was an excellent passer in his own right, but not like this though. Yeah, not like this. This guy's a freaking like he's got radar in his head. I don't know how he's doing it. He had one behind the back pass uh, in the last game that I just like. I just had to stop the game for a second. I was like, I don't. What am I watching? Like, what is going on here? Yeah. This shouldn't be possible. Uh, yeah, but he does, it. he does it every night and he's he's there's not going to be any kind of like you know all that narratives about how he quit you know in the what 2007 or something like i can't right. remember what year it was um that's, that's what that's, that's what i think that's what i think this has all been about i do so he can walk out with his head held high and say i gave you everything you, that i said i would i gave you a title played the finals four straight years played 82 games played like an mvp at 33 i gave you everything i had all right, our next question is from Andy, and he, you know, he was really happy about our interview with Matt Wilhelm. He liked his take on draft eligible, you know, Buckeyes, and he wanted to know if there were any, you know, Buckeyes working in uh, the NFL or gotten into coaching that maybe we don't know too much about or we don't talk too much about uh, that have been kind of making waves and doing cool stuff with, uh, you know, the the broadcast side of things or maybe even the coaching side of things. Well, there's a million of them in broadcasting. Yes. Obviously. <laughs> I mean, there's a million of them. And a big part of that is the the belief in uh, one of the beliefs in, in television is that Columbus, Ohio, Indianapolis, Indiana, uh, there's a couple of towns, you know, in this Midwest that really there is no accent. Um, yeah. And so people who grow up around here uh, tend to get jobs because they speak very clearly and they're not, they don't speak with any sort of accent that would put them in a certain region. So I think that's why there's been so many Ohio state, uh, you know, former Ohio state players who have succeeded on such a grand scale in broadcasting. The other factor to it is, is in college, they were exposed to being covered like a pro team. Um, so I think that factored into it a little bit as well, but um, I can't think of anybody that you wouldn't know of. Um, right. I, I don't have talk anybody, about, you know, the, you know, the Kirk and all that uh, people yeah, know that but I don't have anybody like sneaky out there. That's like, I don't think anybody realizes what a big deal he is. I, I don't have any of those guys. 
Right. As far as the media goes, I will say that I, on the coaching side of things, I have 100% been keeping an eye on uh, the, uh, the coaching career of, of one Kenneth Guyton. Um, <laughs> I want right. to see, I want to see where he goes. <laughs> is he in uh, Texas or is he still at Houston? He's uh, he's over at Houston. He's still chilling. It looks like he's doing his wide receiver thing. As far as I can tell. Um, okay. There's some other guys out there who are doing the coaching thing. Um, I think Hartline is a riser. Yeah, yeah. I'll say that Ryan Hartline like, is definitely moving up the charts. Yeah. I think, and he, I think, I, I think based he's on a huge part at Ohio State yeah. this season. Yeah, and I think yeah. Well, we'll just leave it at that. <laughs> I, I think Ryan Hartline's going to do just fine. Yeah, I think he'll. I think he's going to be a name to watch out for. I mean, there's a lot of guys I feel from like the mid 2000s, especially guys who were kind of maybe not necessarily marginal guys, but guys you just wouldn't think would maybe show up that I think a lot of people are going to start seeing as assistant coaches out there Um, because there were a lot of guys who played under Trestle and whatnot, who, who I think had coaching aspirations. And I think you're going to see more of that Mm. in the next few years. So, um, okay. So let's get to, uh, this is Louie's question here. Louie basically wants to know, you know, when you go on vacation, all right, because he lives out in Arizona, he doesn't run his water when he's home. He's got to conserve, but when he's out on vacation, he's going to give himself a nice, you know, 10 minute shower. And the hotel is okay. 10 minutes seems a little <laughs> like right. I'll take the 10 minutes when I can get it. My, my, my hot water tends to run out after about five where I live, but <laughs> yeah, I mean, I'll give it a good hour, but he wants to know what kind of things do we indulge in on vacation that we wouldn't normally indulge in when we, uh, when we're at home. So when we're on scholarship where we don't yeah. have to pay. Yeah. Well, I'll, you know, so basically this is a hotel room situation is so I'm gluttonous with towels. I mean, at home, you know, I'll have a, sh- I'll have a, uh, a towel for the shower that I'll go two or three days with before I get another one. I hang it up, it dries. I use it the next day, two or three at a hotel. I mean, I'll blow through six towels a day. <laughs> you you do the thing where like you get out of the shower and you wrap it around oh, yeah. your waist and then you get another one yes. and put it around your shoulders and get another one. It's yes. like, oh, the hell with it. I'm just going to put it around my head. See what happens. I'll put three yeah, down yeah. on the floor. Oh I'll yeah. Put three down on the floor. Like, yeah, no. And I don't buy this that they're trying to save, you know, the the ozone layer with the with the placard, like, you know, <laughs> conserve your towels, help us save the earth. No, go to hell. I am sure it's about money. So I, I use all the towels. So that would be my one gluttonous. You know, I don't go through six towels when I take a shower at my house. I think that's a pretty fair vice. Um, I, I will take I will take the incredibly extended shower or two when I'm on vacation just to enjoy the fact that I can kind of just sit and not worry about it i don't i mean when i'm on vacation it's it's more about like types of things that i'll eat because i usually try to avoid like really you know kind of crappy food and frankly i can't afford to go out and get a bunch of steaks and crap but when i'm out on vacation i will try to indulge in the the foods that i normally don't and it came out it, it bit me in the butt a little bit um last summer because i got a gallbladder attack from basically getting well you know <laughs> So, so I went to Montreal and just had like way too much po- or poutine and just, you know, kind of, kind of screwed myself over a little bit. So I got to watch. Why on do that. you think poutine has not taken off here? Like Ohio should do poutine. You would think that would be a natural fit, right? I and mean, we'd it's, crush, it's, we'd it's crush it. I don't understand. Well, yeah, how is it not? It. I've ordered it here once and it was not what it is in Montreal. Like, I, oh, I don't understand no. how, like to me, Ohio should do poutine. Uh, to me it's just yeah. too easy i don't know why it sounds too french that's the problem and people are like oh that must be some kind of special so what if you just called it fries gravy and cheese yeah 
You make some kind of bowl I mean, at it. All- what would happen is what you make it popular is if McDonald's starts selling it or Wendy starts selling it as like a trial run, but they call it complete something completely different. And people would destroy that stuff in Columbus. If Wendy's just had a trial run of poutine, that would yeah, go, would. that would just gangbusters here. They just don't call Have it that. Cameron they call Mitchell. it some other crazy thing. Can't Cameron yeah. Mitchell put it on one of his menus? Wouldn't that just I feel like I feel, I feel like, like they would, would just be able- kill. Yeah. It's it's a no brainer, and it's yeah. you know what I had some pretty mediocre poutine in Montreal. I also said had some amazing poutine in Montreal. Uh, when you do it right, it's it's pretty incredible. So I only had it once, and it was spectacular. Yeah, that's our questions for ask us anything. If you guys have any more, please make sure you send those in dubcast at eleven warriors.com or at eleven dubcast on Twitter. All right, buddy. We will. Uh, we thank uh, Robert for coming on. That's a fascinating book. I- I'm going to give it a look. I want to see. I- I'm curious about that because you, you know, if you think about it, you never that era is rarely talked about. It does yeah. kind of all start with 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 chicks. So um, I'm going to give it a look, and uh, we encourage you to do it as well. We thank him for stopping by, and you and I will chat again next week, my friend. Yep. See you next week.